I don't know when people get around, I get nervous and shit. I hear you, man. Well, the pressure's on. You know, yeah, because you're like, you know, it's a show. It's live. You yeah. Know what I mean? totally. so I, 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 I'm very gracious with people because I, I know how shit can be. Yeah, totally, man. Totally. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. We got Ulysses Owens Jr. on the podcast today. Thanks for being here, man. Glad Thanks to be here, man. Yeah, Thanks for coming. Both of you all. Absolutely, man. Um, so Ulysses, for those who don't know, is an author, drummer, band leader, educator, producer, and the list keeps going on. <laughs> you can person. hear, yeah, person, <laughs> yeah, human person. being, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can hear his performances on Grammy award-winning albums such as Kurt Elling's uh, live album "Dedicated to You" and Christian McBride Big Band's "The Good Feeling." Uh, he's the artistic director for the nonprofit organization "Don't Miss a Beat Inc.," a foundation created by his family to help empower the youth to dream big using art, music, and civic engagement programming. He's published several articles and books. His latest career guide to musicians turning your talent into sustained success is available now. Currently, you can catch him playing with Generation Y, Ulysses Owens Jr. Big Band, and teaching at Juilliard School as well. So that's the longest uh, intro I've ever had to do. Yeah. <laughs> can me. you believe he just finished his first Harvey Boys Detective book yeah. yesterday, too? I can't believe I'm getting, getting a reading. Thanks, man. man. I really appreciate that. You know, I've been working a little hard at it. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here, man. Glad to be here, man. This is awesome. Okay. Um, where do you find the time? <laughs> People ask me that, and it's funny because, um, so I admittedly have, uh, or I've self-diagnosed myself with ADD. Um, I'm one of those people that I have to always be doing something. And so people look at my resume or look at things and they're like, how do you find the time? And for me, I feel like I have a lot of time, but I also think it's because I don't commit to a lot of things as well. So I'm very, I'm very careful about what I commit to so that I have that open, you know, um, space. Um, I also have a, a five month old baby boy. Congratulations. So thank you. So, and, um, and kudos to, to his mom. We both co-parent. So he, spends the majority of his time, you know, with her and I get in there and spend time with them as well. But I would say like, I have a, a lot of people in my life that help me and I have a team that really like allows me to not have to be bombarded. Like, so if it was a person who tried to do all those things, but with no help, I, I'd probably be spinning on my head. I probably wouldn't be able to do this, but I think right. because I'm really adamant about um, building relationships with people that can help me maintain the things that, I, that matter. And so it makes things easier for me. Totally, totally, yeah. man. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that we can cover. Obviously, Great. you have a huge resume, but I want to really focus on the entrepreneurial side because I think that's a side that at least I'm particularly drawn to. Great. So, um, but before we do that, um, when did you start playing? Uh, two years old. Uh, actually, not far from here, there's a church on Kings Road um, in Jacksonville, Florida. Am I, should I just connect with yeah. you? Oh, okay, yeah. Great. Or Billy uh, when too, I see, you know? When I see a bunch of cameras i'm like where do i look don't even um, think more of that shit <laughs> but anyway so yeah um there's a church at king's road jacksonville was called still in blue church of god and uh i come from a very religious family full of pastors and you know all that and i start playing there my mom's a choir director and uh i'm told you know i always tell the story that the drummer got up one day at choir rehearsal because she sat me next to him and when he got up i like hopped on and i started playing like in time so I always two? say, yeah, too. Yeah. Wild, and what's man. funny, you know, people are like, yeah, right. I actually have pictures of it, <laughs> um, of me like, like doing that, you know, and then my aunt Dorothy bought, uh, I guess the cartoon at that time was Biscuitats. And so they bought me a drum set with that, like, you know, logo or whatever. And so there's literally pictures of me, like 
you know, drool coming down. Like, like <laughs> That's so, hilarious. So it's funny, like, when I think now about, you know, my son, because I'm like, ooh, that means in, like, a year and a half I might <laughs> potentially have a drummer. Uh-oh. But, um, but yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't know life without drums. You know, I don't know life without music. So I, I love it that way, you know? Yeah, man. Um, and what, what drew you to jazz? Man, so uh, I heard Buddy Rich for the first time. My parents, so this is pre, you know, I feel like when I tell these stories, like this is pre-YouTube, this is pre-internet, all of that. And there was a music uh, company called DCI Videos, which was now, uh, or I think sold to a company called Hudson Music, which is out there. And anyway, they used to sell videotapes at your local music store. And my parents for Christmas bought a Buddy Rich and uh, and I saw Buddy play, and for anybody who's ever seen Buddy play is, you know, it's like a work of art. And that kind of bit me with the jazz bug. But he's not like a traditional jazz drummer. Right. Then I would say I heard Miles Davis at 16, and that was when it was pretty much like, that's what I want to be. And I met Winter Marsalis. He came to Fernandina Beach High School. And uh, he was doing a lot of touring in the South because a lot of his band was from down here. So anyway, I got a chance to go there, and I saw him, and I just, who he was, how he operated, how he moved around in the world, I was like, I want to be that. So I think that's when, not just falling in love with the art form, but then like wanting to be sort of the personality of it meant a lot to me. It was like, it sort of was a clear sign of that's what I felt I needed to do. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, and so you grew up in Jacksonville then? Jacksonville, west side of town, um, Normandy Boulevard, uh, to be more specific, like not far from Hurlong Airport. This okay. is back when it was no, like there's a bunch of neighborhoods there now, which we were just talking about uh, how Jacksonville's changing, but it was a very different city then. It was very um, much military based. Um, so much of the transplants that were here were either from, or here for Cecil Field, NAS Jacks, or Mayport. Um, and you had people that were from here, but um, it wasn't like now where you've got all, I mean, I'm sure most of you all like, know people who are here for a job or for like some new opportunity or Amazon. Jacksonville yeah, totally. was just a, it was just a big city with a lot of land. It didn't have as much going on there. Right, so, right. Um, and what was, so what was like coming up in a scene like that? I mean, what's interesting is we have one of the most talented, I think, jazz scenes um, in the world. We, we were just talking earlier about Barry Green. Um, the University of North Florida, to me, really contributed to us having a great jazz scene. Um, I grew up with great players who got rest their soul, like Bomb Barlow, who I got to see, because right up the street from here in Avondale, um, there's a restaurant called The Brick. Mm -hmm. sure you know? Oh yeah. Brick used to be a place called Partners. Partners was this cool restaurant, and way in the back, which is where they see people now, used to be a stage. And that was one of the um, best jam sessions in town, used to be there. And then there used to be a spot, uh, I think on Hendrix, called Juice and Java, which was like a juice shop and at night it was like a tea sort of, I think maybe they served wine, I wouldn't know I was a kid, but they used to have jam sessions. And again, when the jazz festival would come in, you'd have all these great artists from all over the world sitting in there. So I kind of knew around 12 or 13 about those scenes. So it was great. And then you had like people like Teddy Washington who had spent many years with James Brown, lived here. Um, you also uh, had great jazz players like uh, that passed through from what I understand you had Longinu Parsons, who's an mm -hmm. incredible resource, who his son, for those that may not know, is, is Longinu Jr., who's the drummer for Yellow Card. We had um, my man with Limp Biscuit. Um, oh, yeah. Fred, uh, um, I can't remember his name right now. Like Fred Durst? No, no. Fred, Fred, but they all are from Jacksonville. No, right? I, yeah, 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 I know. But I can't think of the, the drum. <laughs> I have his drumstick, too. Is he a jazz drummer? 
He went to DA. He went to my no, high school. Sure. That's hilarious. No that band formed at DA. <laughs> well, I believe that, but John Otto. He's John, John Otto. Otto. Thank okay. you. Yeah, John. That's what I've, you know. But yeah, so I, you know, so DA, so UNF was great for jazz, but DA was amazing because you had this legacy of these kind of people. Like, I mean, two of the most famous rock bands, Limp Biscuit and Yellow Card, formed in Jacksonville. Right. Which is an extension of the sort of like Leonard Skinner, whatever. But anyway, there was a lot of great music here. Um, and I think it's also because you had the influence of like the church and a lot of people coming out of that and then playing jazz. So. Totally. Which the, I feel that's like my favorite combination of drummer. Yeah. There's like the, the gospel guys that like left the church and they like yeah. started playing jazz. Yeah. Like to me, that's like, like, you know, Dorico Watson. Are you familiar? I know Dorico very or, well. Yeah. That, I saw him play with, uh, with Victor Wooten and Steve Bailey yeah. uh, down in Miami when I was living there at, at UM. Yeah. And, uh, holy shit, man. I got yeah. to do like a five-minute drum solo in five. Yeah. And it was the most musical drum solo. Dorico's a beast, man. He and I, I, I need to hit him up. He and I used to talk a lot um, before, probably like when I was in New York, because he was, he and I both were endorsing a similar company, and like we were really close. And he's bad cat. He's, I think he's in Nashville now. Oh, that, that makes yeah. sense, yeah. Uh, so uh, what, what prompted the move to New York for you? So Juilliard, man. So I knew at 16, it, it, it was all this like series of events. 16, I heard Miles Davis because I wanted to go to Manhattan School of Music. I had a, a cousin that was there in New York, um, Wallace, and I, something about going to New York in the 90s, you could just feel the energy. I mean, it was amazing, man. Like, I, I visited, um, you had Music Row at that time, which doesn't exist in Times Square, where it was literally 48th Street was a row of music stores. The whole oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Also, so one side was music stores. The other side was... Um, Studio. So, uh, have y'all seen the recent Kanye documentary? Yeah, it's a great documentary. So, so the first episode, um, I think when he was doing stuff with Jay Z, he was at a studio called Right Track. That's on that street. Okay. And it and it's so cool when he walks out, he, you'll see he's standing in front of Sam Ash. Okay. So, so anyway, so New York was really cool during that time because I just felt like it was kind of the tail end of like all that like seventies, eighties you know, 90s New York, where the music scene, Hit Factory, all that was still there. So I knew I wanted to move there. I go to Manhattan School of Music at 16 to meet John Riley, who's a great jazz drummer, to see if I, like, have what it takes. And he was honest. He said, man, you're really talented. He said, but you sound like a gospel drummer. Um, he said, and if you want to get into my program, you need to sound like a jazz drummer. So I was like, well, what do I do? And he's like, well, dude, you got to check out the record. So I bought from Borders Music Store, when you could buy CDs from stores, um, bought that CD, Milestones, and that was when everything changed for me. Um, and at that point, so I spent the next two years like playing with everybody I could in Jacksonville. Um, that's why I really have such respect for the scene here. And um, guys like Claude Bass, um, Stan Piper, oh, man, Kevin man. Bells, Eric Ream, um, they were all like young and hungry college students. So they would hire me. You know, and uh, and I would work with them. So I spent two years really doing that. And then Juilliard, I found out that they had a jazz program they were going to launch right when I graduated high school. So I went from wanting to go to MSM to Juilliard. And uh, fast forward, I got accepted to that program. And that was what got me to New York. Um, and then three weeks after moving to New York, September 11th happened. Oh, man. So I, I Damn, like... Dude. <laughs> yeah, bro. So, so literally, I felt like, uh, you know, there's that movie Independence Day. Yeah. I literally felt like it was a scene in that movie. Like, like I was in the middle of all of that. So I thought, like, wow, like my, I, I, you know, get this great blessing. I moved to New York. I'm at the Juilliard School. I'm this kid from the South, like humble beginnings. And now I'm in New York City. And three weeks later, the world ends. 
<laughs> um, Fuck, or feels like it. But to everything, man, there's a reason and season, and um, it it was cool. Like it it all worked out, and actually, New, New York came together. Yeah, that's um, true. That you know, jazz clubs reduced their prices for especially for students. So I got to hear all these legends for like ten dollars because they were just trying to keep the clubs going and getting people back um, into their thing. And then there were some jazz musicians that were still alive. So like Max Roach was still alive. That's awesome. Elvin Jones, Roy Haynes was wow. still alive. Um, you know, so I got to see a lot of people that now I look back having been in New York for over 20 years. And I'm like, that was a really special time because a lot of those people, particularly after COVID, a lot of those people are gone. Yeah, totally. Um, and then I knew, I'll just say lastly, I knew that New York was where I wanted to be because the best musicians in the world were there. Um, is that so, what, is it, would you, was it ever like a, a toss up for you like to go out to LA at all or did you? Not for me because I was, I, you know, when I made that sort of exodus from gospel and knew I wanted to be jazz, for me, New York was the only place. Right. Because like LA has a jazz scene and it's great, but it's very small. Um, I mean, I could I could list like people, you know, on two hands, like who are there and who have lived there for 30 years. And they are like the kings of that castle. Right. But L.A. is more commercial, especially now it's more like pop. Yeah. Um, and it's a great town and I have a lot of connections there. And I but every time I go to L.A., it's very project driven. Yeah. It's like I'm there for a week. I'm doing something like real high profile and then I'm, I'm gone. And but also I don't like L.A. Like I don't enjoy it because it, it feels like I always say if I'm going to live in L.A., I'd rather live here. It's very Which spread is, out. Yeah, it's like, because at least in Jacksonville, it's spread out. But, like, I have my family here. L.A., you move in, you move there, and you've got to, like, be in a car for two hours to, like, get to all the things yeah, you want to do. traffic sucks. There. Yeah. It's the worst. So, um, but L.A. LA is cool. I enjoy it. And Europe is cool. If, if, if there was an alternative, I would have probably moved to Europe. Is there an um, alternative scene like that? Do you think there's like a scene in Europe that oh, that, yeah. uh, that kind of rivals New York in a way? Um, nobody rivals New York, but it's definitely... Um, you can make a living. Like, for instance, I would probably move to France um, or, like, Germany because the thing about, one, in Europe, when you're there, they take care of you. Mm -hmm. So, like, a lot of my friends who are Americans who move there, they get, like, this – I can't give you the French name. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. But there's this status where if you are a musician, no matter whether you are working steadily or not, you get grafted into their system, which gives you health benefits. Um, you know, for whatever reason, you can't work. You get an apartment. You know, I mean, like they, the taxes are high, but they really take care of you. Right. Um, and, and, and you, I don't see like broke down jazz musicians in other countries. Right. You only see it here because we don't really have a system together economically to really, not just jazz musicians, to really take care of any artists. Like, yeah, we, we saw that during the pandemic. Yeah. We don't care about artists at all in this country. It's like, we, they're, they're defunding it from schools and it's right, like right. all these things like people, it's a whole different <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's, but, that, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Do they even have music programs in schools anymore? It's been so oh, long. Yeah. And like, I'm, in like public schools and everything? Yeah. I mean, it's I not. Mean, like probably like, like they have band, but. Yeah. Well, what's happening now is, is magnet programs. Oh, so okay. it's either like magnet programs or like private schools um, or like a school that has like there's a school, uh, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary School. They have a great program, but they're tied into like a magnet theater system. Okay. So I think now for if a kid wants like a, you know, access to either got to be in private school or go to like a very accelerated or like art centric um, school program. I mean, that's, I'm in that world every day. I mean, that's part of what we do at Don't Miss a Beat. Yeah, so I was trying to get into and everything like that when I was reading uh, about uh, your uh 
I don't, I don't know what to call it. It's not a charity, is it? Or just it's or, a non, no? It's it's, it cool. it's a it's a nonprofit organization. Okay, nonprofit yeah. organization. Sorry, I didn't yeah. want to say the wrong no, thing. No, no. But yeah, that's what I was getting into. I just think that's so cool because like that's how I got into to music was literally right. like. I was learning how to play hot crust buns on the recorder, and I was like, oh, I can do this a lot faster than everybody else for some reason. <laughs> right. So I'm going to stick with this. I like doing it. It makes me happy. Nurture people's propensity to yeah. do a certain thing rather than force them into a field right. that they don't want to be in. You have a much happier society that way, I think. You know? But I guess what I – yeah, but what's your what's your uh, program about or organization? Sorry. Sure. So it's Don't Miss a Beat, and we basically are an organization, and we're not, we're not far from here. We're on a West Beaver Street. We have two locations, West Beaver Street and Jackson Street. Um, and basically, we're after-school tutoring. You know, so our kids come to us. We make sure they're cool with academically. That we have tutors, and it's all free. And then the artistic component is that we're not focused on musical theater. We used to do like band and all that, but we found that we were really making greater strides with kids um, with musical theater. So kids get you know arts activity after they get their homework done. Um, you know, we make sure they eat and all that stuff. And a big part of us, our flagship program, is our summer camp. So we now actually call it a Broadway summer camp. So kids come to us, six weeks, they take classes, and we mount a Broadway show at the end of it. That's awesome. Man. And uh, it's amazing, man. I mean, we're almost 15 years old now. That's awesome. What did you do last summer? Uh, we did um, In the Heights, okay. which, was, cool. which was funny because it, <laughs> it was actually not – because I planned the musicals. I picked them um, – so I'll say this. So I picked them because I want my kids to gain musical theater credits. So I started picking Broadway Junior Productions about four or five years ago so that when my kids graduate high school and most of them want to go to college and get a scholarship, they have this list of credits. So I picked In the Heights like six to eight months before the summer, and then the movie ended up coming out wow. last summer. So it ended up being like perfect um, timing. But yeah, that's another part of our program as well is that every kid comes to us, they you know get part, become part of a great school, and then they get through high school and they go to college. That is a big part of us, and it kind of distinguishes us from some of the other great nonprofits here that are more interested in like just a kid like while they're in school. Our thing is, you know, we have kids from ages five all the way up to 16, 17. I mean, even when they graduate high school and go to college, they come back and, you know, intern at camp or work with us. So, you know, we're really about um, our mission statement, which basically says the arts are the bridge to a better life. So we believe by introducing kids to the arts, even if they don't become this, you know, uber talented, whatever, having that still helps them to develop in a way that not having it would. Right. Know? Or so. you can just set them up for a life of being broke and depressed. <laughs> so, yeah. Again, I'm, another podcast. No, I'm just saying, that's so cool, man. Yeah, that's it's just awesome. like just so awesome. Uh, so I, I always say it's my life's work. And being an artistic director um, changes how I do everything. You know, because as you know, as musicians, you kind of have this mentality of like, all right, show up, do the gig. And, you know, it's a thing. But when you like have a business and, and what you do reflects the children in that business, um, it makes you move differently. So, so this is a perfect transition. because yes. I, want, I really want to get into the entrepreneurial stuff. So um, I'm really big on this idea that your creativity can take you beyond like your music. You yes. know, so when did that idea become apparent to you? Um, so early on, I, I always say that I've been entrepreneurial, I think, um, intentionally since I was 16. Okay. So when I was in Jacksonville, as I said, I was playing with all these musicians and um, I put together my first band full of a bunch of DA cats and it was called Quick Changes, Quintet. And it was called Quick Changes because nobody could ever do the same gigs. So it was always <laughs> interchangeable <funny>. <laughs> members, <laughs> That's right? That's hilarious. So um, I went to Barnes & Noble's on Atlantic 
uh, Barnes & Noble, rather, on Atlantic Boulevard, because we all were trying to save money to buy CDs, because we were trying to build up our jazz record collection so we could know this music. So I was like, man, how could I like get CDs but not have to pay money? So Barnes & Noble had an incredible CD collection. So I was like, well, what if I go to them, ask them to let me play, and then they'll give me like you know money or whatever. So I went, and they were like, well, we can't pay you money, but we can give you gift certificates. I was like, well, great. So, uh, and Starbucks had, they had just put a Starbucks in there. Nice. So they're like, you, you and your band, y'all play for three hours, seven to, or six to eight, whatever it was. You get as much Starbucks coffee as you want and you get gift certificates. So it was killing. So that was like my first gig. Then um, the Loop P Bar and Pizza Grill or whatever in San Marco, that used to be called Tavern on the Square. It was a kind of a sort of dive bar restaurant and so they had jazz there. And uh, another guy who we, I got to give a shout out to who's been playing music in Jacksonville and doing unbelievable stuff is a guy named Lawrence Buckner. Oh, yeah. Played a um, with him. He's amazing. Yeah, Lawrence is great. He's a, he's a treasure. They, he, he should be uh, one of the things I hope to do. I'm always plugging stuff. I want to be able to be in charge or at least contribute to that, like Jacksonville Hall of Fame. And there's a lot of musicians here that should be part of that, like him, Eric Carter, Barry Green. Anyway, Lawrence ran a session at Tavern on the Square, and he got busy, and he was like, yo, you you want to do it? And so I started running my own jam session. So man, at 16, I was running my own jam session, had a gig at Barnes & Noble, was at DA, had a church gig, and with Claude and Eric Green, we were doing all these gigs uh, down in Amelia Island. Claude Bassingworth? Yeah. Bassing, Bassing three. He's uh, The he's pipe tobacconist. I've, I've known him for a long time, too. Well, Claude is, jazz a, is stupid. Yeah. That's his whole thing, right? I love, <laughs> I love Claude, man. He, he, <laughs> he, was, he was deep, man. I, he, I have a lot of love for him. So anyway, yeah, so I think I started becoming entrepreneurial because I fell in love with not only just getting better, but like creating new opportunities for music. Um, and then when I moved to New York, um, I wasn't really trying to be entrepreneurial. I, at that point, probably my first six or seven years, I was just surviving. Yeah, like, Just totally. trying to like play. And then I think when I graduated college, I always say I graduated, walk across the stage, 2006, I had a panic attack. I was like, what the hell am I gonna do with this degree? Like, what am I, you know? And so I, I went um, home and I started journaling about all the stuff I learned in my music business courses and all the stuff I didn't learn. And so I started writing this journal, and that is actually what my book, The Musician's Career Guide, is. It's my, it's about 15 years worth of notes That's of, awesome. of everything that I wish I had been taught and then things that I, were, I was learning. Um, but yeah, the idea of entrepreneurship to me, I always say the textbook definition is a person who you know, forms a business by taking on greater than normal financial risk. I mean, so basically, if you start a business and you're, you're taking a risk to do so, that's entrepreneurial. And I feel like artists by nature are entrepreneurial. I mean, what you guys are doing here is an incredible entrepreneurial endeavor, right? Because there's sacrifice, there's risk. So I started understanding that entrepreneurship wasn't this thing that like tech billionaires did. Even as creative artists, we are all doing that. Right. And so just finding ways to maximize that. So I'm curious, um, why do you, th or do you, do you find that a lot of musicians, like, like taking your, 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 your craft seriously or like the pursuit of your craft seriously do you find that that's taboo amongst musicians and uh why do you think that is if you do find it taboo? <laughs> I, I don't i don't think that it, i mean even like here in jacksonville which isn't considered an aggressive musical like scene i meet musicians every day whether they play rock or funk or whatever and they are serious about their craft 
Um, they may not have it as a full-time job. They may not, you know, make a full living from it, but like they play every weekend or they do whatever. So I, I don't, I don't buy into the like musicians don't take themselves seriously, but I don't think musicians understand how to maximize what they do. Right. You know, like I have a lot of friends here who like they, they are incredible artists, but they have a day job. And I'm like, if you took that time, you know, maybe a month off from your day job and like added that time and energy to what you did, that could make you more money than you would ever make on your day job. Totally. So what I find here in town are people who are afraid to take risk and bet on themselves. And I will say like out of any, if, if people don't remember anything that I say in this podcast, remember this, don't be afraid to bet on yourself because that Love to it. me is, <laughs> that to me is the, is the tool or the key entity in being an entrepreneur is the ability to not only take risk, but to bet on yourself. Totally. And if you bet on yourself enough and you you produce, then that it just keeps repeating itself. So it's so funny that you say that. Like literally, he says this all the time, and I just make fun of him like for saying <laughs> yeah. this. Not that he's Again, not that not, he's wrong or anything right, like right. that. But it's just like you you just saying it like literally here. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, okay, I get it. You're like, okay, yeah, I get right. it. I get it. Man. That's fine. I get it. You're like, next also. question. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's. That, 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 that's why I say things like that sometimes. You, you, you meet, you meet a lot of people. It's an intervention to quit my day job, apparently. <laughs> it's an intervention, quit, yeah, quit, yeah. Quit. yeah I, I feel like I've met a lot of people in the, in the music industry or just, you know, more as being a musician that don't take themselves seriously or that, or that think that because you do take yourself seriously, like, they don't take you seriously type thing, you know? I mean, yeah. the other thing is you can't worry about what other people think about Right. You. I mean, and, I, I started calling myself an entrepreneur before people believed it. You know, I mean, every everything you see or read on that that resume or bio is stuff that I dreamed up, and I kept believing it, and I kept saying it until everybody starts saying it. Right. You know, like that, like the fact that you're sitting here being like, "Man, I really want to talk about entrepreneurship with you." is hilarious to me. Yeah. Because I remember when I would say, no, seriously, because I would say it, I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur," and people would be like, "Whatever." Now people are like, "So creative entrepreneur, Ulysses Owens," and he's, and I'm like, "Yeah, I built that shit." So, but, so I say awesome. that to say like. Like, cause there, I would be in my bedroom, be like, I'm going to be a creative entrepreneur. My dad's like, a what? What? It, okay, can you pay the rent this month? Yeah. <laughs> you know. But I, but, but that's the the beauty of it. And now, like, I am that. You know. Right. So I think you have to have a vision of what you want to become, and you have to be so hard pressed about it. That's why, like, you know, I I can't speak to all the other stuff that Kanye. That's exactly is, who I was uh, thinking about. Right? So I, said I can't that, speak to that. But, but I tell, if you are an entrepreneur or you desire to be an entrepreneur, you have to watch that documentary or, or particularly the first episode. Yep. Yeah. Because like what was so deep to me, I saw so much of myself in him in that here was a guy who wanted something and could see it and could feel it and it wasn't happening. Yes. But he didn't stop like wanting it or feeling it. And, and what was crazy to me was like now he could like, pee in a corner and it, and it's going to be all over the news. Yeah. You know, so like this Turn guy into a gold record. Right. Like <laughs> this, like this guy is so relentless that like he became what he wanted to become, but it was so great to see how people kind of thought he was a joke. Yeah. And now there's not a day goes by that his name is not mentioned in some kind of mainstream media. Right. So I, so I say that to say like I think that's where the belief in the entrepreneurial like thing is really rich. And that you have to believe it when nobody else believes it. Did you ever let let that kind of, uh, I guess, dismissiveness towards your mindset? Did it ever like create any self doubt in you at all, or did you always just like, even if you were failing or getting rejected, you always knew that you were on on the right path? Well, there. Well, I'll tell you, the times that I doubted the journey 
is when there's moments of great loss, right? So like the pandemic, pandemic, we all lost a lot, right? We mm-hmm. lost a lot of money. We lost people. We lost things. So there were different moments where I was like, like, do I need to like pivot? Which the answer was yes, but I didn't need to pivot away from what I was doing. I needed to go deeper into another direction. Right. Um, so there are moments, um, or or where you you go after opportunities and you're like, oh, okay, if I get, you know, if I do this, this, and then I get that, then I'll get here. And when you get to here and that doesn't happen, you're like, what? So I had to start learning, like, be open to, like, how you're going to get where you're going to get to. So you may go here, 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 and then, like, come at it from another angle. So I stopped. Like, now I'm getting to a point where I don't worry about getting there. My question for myself is always, what's the journey and what is God always trying to teach me? Um, I now understand this, and I do not mean to come across arrogant. But I will say this. I'm at a place now in my faith in God and in myself. Nothing is going to stop what I want. So I tell people all the time, you can stand in my way if you want, but you're going to get run over. Yeah. So you can either hold hands with me or you can get run over. I, I, <laughs> like I, that's where I'm at now. I love that mentality. Man. And what it's... I mean is not, I, and, and I don't mean it from a, like what I want from a selfish, arrogant, like what I want, like spoiled kid. No, meaning like when I'm tuned in and tapped into purpose and God's purpose then nothing can block what the universe and what God wants for you to have. Right. So in that regard, I'm like, you either need to be a part of this. It's like you guys, right? You have this incredible podcast that's going to so turn incredible. into something. So incredible. <laughs> that's going to turn into something even more incredible. Right. And nobody's going to stop that. They can maybe delay it, but nothing's going to stop that. If you keep going, the only thing that can stop you is if you stop. It's the biggest obstacle is yourself, right? I mean, yeah. that's 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 yeah. it. Read Joshua, dude. <laughs> This is Jericho, I've been in a church like twice in my life. Yeah, just Sorry. keep going. <laughs> Even if it's in a circle for seven days at a time. Whatever, just keep going. It's true. And mo- most stuff, if you look at your life, most of the things that don't happen is because you stopped. Right, right. No, that's so true, man. You know, another documentary to watch in the same vein as that Kanye one is the one with Kevin Hart. Um, I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's basically about him like trying to, like, he's working on like different things. Oh, yes. and And... He talks about his grind coming up, doing yeah. stand-up comedy, and then he kind of goes into uh, when he started producing uh, Soul Plane and putting that yeah. together. Yeah. He was like, people act like when I was doing Soul Plane, like I had money. He was like, I, I was broke. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, after Soul Plane yeah. came out, I was broke. Yeah. Don't, uh, fuck, yeah. This Don't fuck this up. That's yeah, I got to go. I got to. Oh, I did watch that. Yeah. Bro, it's so good. Yeah. Like, I watched it at the time where I needed to watch it, kind of like yeah. the Kanye one, too, where it's like yeah. you're having these doubts in your head, and you watch that, and you're like, Kevin Hart... And he's still get like at his level, like he's in meetings. He's still getting rejected by people. Oh, absolutely. That's what. And people don't understand that. Like I always say, like what you go through on one level, it continues on other levels. It's just with different things. Right. I mean, even I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear no to the to this day. That's amazing. Like, like I still. I mean, you know, my manager and I now, like the big thing we're trying to work on now is me having more band leading opportunities, and because people are like, oh, well, we love you as a drummer and. We want you to do this for someone else, but then when you present your project, they're like, "Oh, we don't know." So that's the battle we're fighting with some people now, or you know, fighting the battle of record companies. You know, I get called by pretty much every major, you know, jazz record uh, company to produce or to play on someone's record, but when it comes to them signing me, they, you know, they're like, "Oh, we don't know if he can sell records, but you've used my name to sell everybody else's right. records." Right. So Kanye was going. Yeah. So, so it's the, and that's why his thing resonated so well with me because he wanted to be more than what people wanted him to be. Right. You know, he wanted to continue to be all the stuff that they wanted, but he had this other thing, 
Um, and, you know, even when you're successful, people get stuck with the kind of success you have and they kind of want to, like, lock you into that. Totally, So yeah. you just have to, you have to shake it up. Isn't that a weird thing? Like, it's kind of like the modern day, like, musicians and artists in general, kind of like the modern day court jesters, where, where it's like, it's like, yeah, you can achieve fame and, and power and, and, and financial stability and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, people always look at you as their property in some way. Yeah. It's like, it's like whatever you're producing means that much to me, we want you to keep doing that. And the second you stop is the second we stop respecting you. But, and then your entire career can crumble. But you know? here's the other thing. If you, if you stay locked into their stuff or their idea of you, then you get trapped by that. Right. And then you have the situation where, you know, those that are like, oh, well, I'd rather have this day job. And they worked this day job for 20 years. And great, you got your pension, you got your, you know, benefits, all of that. But then that's all you have. Right. You don't have all these other things that you could have had. Right. And so I'm one of those people. I, I'd rather get to the end of the line and say I tried everything and, and what I have as a result of trying everything versus getting to the end of the line and committing to this one thing that was safe. Right. I, I'm totally not into playing it safe. I hear that 100%, man. I'm with you. But it's not easy, right? Playing I mean, but safe, it's also, but it's hey, but it's rewarding. But it's also, not, <laughs> it's, it's also not easy doing the same thing over and over again. Tell me that. Right. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, I, I won't tell you what the situation was, but I had a very great counselor who said to me one time, she said, Ulysses, it's going to be very difficult if you stay in this situation, and it's going to be very difficult if you leave this situation. You have to choose your difficulty. <laughs> so, so it's like, you have to choose which, 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 because both are difficult. And she was right. Both, both scenarios were difficult. I chose the one that was the level of difficulty that I wanted. But here's what I did. I chose the one that eventually was going to get me to the other side. Right. And so I think that's where you have to say, okay, is me doing this thing, like, you know, keeping this job, is that going to lead me to a kind of comfort that I'm okay with? Right. So it just, it's, and nobody can choose that for you, but you. And that's a betting on yourself thing, right? That's a, yeah. essentially saying, like, if I take this direction, it's going to be a lot less stable and the outcome's not yeah. as clear. But do I believe that I can make that happen for myself versus do I believe that somebody else is going to do that better for me, right? And that's the whole thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm with you, man. I mean, I, I'll, this one quote someone told me years ago, it was like, you can either fight to make your dreams happen or you could spend your life making somebody else's dreams exactly. happen. Exactly. And I personally want my dreams to happen because my dreams are linked to so many other people that I love and care about that I want to provide for. So I don't really have time to build someone else's thing. Right. Now, I'm happy to help build something in a way that helps me build too. Sure. But I don't have the time to help build somebody else's. Right, right. So I'm curious, um, what were like your earliest pursuits like? I mean, outside of like running jams and like, you know, yeah. doing gigs, like what? Outside of music, what was what were your entrepreneurial? I pursuits? mean, so uh, I had a record company at one point. Really? Um, yeah, I had. It was called Sound on Purpose Records. <laughs> Sound on Purpose Records. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. I produced maybe five. I think five or six artists. So I had a record company for like a year, and then I realized that I I infrastructurally knew how to have it, but I didn't have the capital. Um, so that was something I had. I I was a jazz curator for a really major club in New York City. Um, so I had uh, a company called Unanimous Music, um, which basically booked over at that, I think towards the end of it, we booked over like 300 or something artists for the series. So I was sort of like a booking agent and curator. Um, I had an, an online business, um, actually sort of during the pandemic, I was trying to create kind of like an online lesson portal where I could sort of have people come to, to me and sort of build things that they wanted to build. Sort of like a, I teach you music entrepreneurship. Um, 
I've written, you know, I, I have the books, I've had my own private lesson studio. Um, man, uh, yeah, I've had my own music products, you know, I've had products, signature products with other companies. Um, my production company is probably the one thing that has been consistent. I've had that for over 10 years. And what's, so you're producing artists with that? Yeah, or, UOJ okay. Productions. So I produce artists with that. Um, and so probably to this date, we've, we've produced over like 40 or so uh, independent records. Um, mainly jazz, but we've done some singer-songwriter or some other things. Now, are you acting as a label or are you putting it like distributing through a certain company or is it just... So when I produce, I, my, my goal is I just produce the album and then I help the artist decide if they're going to either work with a label or if they're going to like license it or just release it on their own. Um, so I consult with all that. So is the album typically done by the time you go and seek a label or, or is... Yeah, well, so it's a couple different ways. I've had artists who were like being courted by other labels. So I've done projects where like I'll produce a couple things and send it to the label and they'll be like, oh, well, we like them, but we they need to finish this record and then come to us. Okay. So I've done that. Um, and that's kind of more traditional where I've just worked with a lot of artists where we just produce their record and maybe they partner with a label later. Um, I've also had a company um, in New York. It's probably That's probably the longest thing where I provide music for private events. So I've had, you know, I have clients like, you know, especially now it's been really great. I have clients like Facebook and uh, Penn Literary, um, Carnegie Hall, like a lot of people wow. where... Like, they're like, hey, Ulysses, we have this event going on and we want you to, you know, provide a group, you know, because at first it was like me showing up and then it, then they'd be like, well, we want to, want, we have an event, but we kind of like don't want drums. I hope you don't get offended. I'm like, I'm not offended. Like, what do you want? And they're like, oh, well, we want a guitar duo. And I call up a friend of mine, hey, can you all do it? And we make it happen. So that was something I've been doing that for, you know, like I said, almost 20 years. So again, it's just that it's, you know, having those multiple streams of income because sometimes certain those things will like sustain you when other stuff doesn't work out. Right. Um, and that's been my my thing is just being on the grind, man. Just like trying to make stuff happen. So. So when you talk about diversifying revenue streams, there's a there's got to be like a like a like a good way to do that and then a bad way to do that, right? I don't believe in good and bad ways to diversify your income. I think that there's there's, um, I think there's what you need and then there's what you want, right? Like. So my main source of income um, before the pandemic was my career as a drummer. So 90% of my income was me going somewhere and sitting on a set of drums and getting a check at the end of the night. Right. Um, and then it started changing where it was like 80%. And then I started getting educational opportunities. Like when I started teaching at Juilliard where they're like, well, we need you to be here pretty consistently for nine months out of the year. So then it was like 80-20. Then it was... Um, keep doing that, but then I want you to produce, you know, 10 records this year. So then it's like, well, I can't be on the road as much and do this and really be involved with these artists. So now it's like 70, 30, you know? So that's why I say like the idea of it being a good or bad way, I think it's more organic than that. I think you have to decide what you're interested in. So now it's like, okay, I'm, I have Juilliard. Now I'm like on the road, maybe 30%, you know? Right. You know, don't miss a beat. My family's company, you know, production. Now I'm getting called to do all these like speaking events. You know, now I'm an author. I have a book. So I have, you know, certain things that, that economically help me around that. So now it's like, you know, five or six different things that I'm invested in, but it started out with just me playing drums and then taking a gig on the side. Right. So I, I think it's more about like, if you do other things, well, like for you, it may be like you play gigs, but you also have this cool podcast. 
Then it may be somebody sees this podcast and like, man, I like what you guys did. Can you help me with mine? Yep. So now it's you playing gigs, doing your podcast, and now somebody else is paying you all to help with theirs. So happy you said all that. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out. Um, yeah. Um, so do you feel like there's, because in my mind, it seems like if you want to, if you want to diversify, the best way to do it would be to, to have, to start something or get involved in something that has one hand feed the other type thing, right? Like if, if you, if you like invest your time into being an artist, then to invest your time into something else that let's say like, you know, I don't know, like a lawn service, right? Maybe that's not the best way to do it because that might not enable your ability to be an artist in the same way that like investing in another endeavor that might be more conducive to being an artist. Does that make sense? Here's what I say. Be an expert at something first. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It's like, like, that's not your expertise is mowing lawns. You know right. what I mean? Like, how's going to help you in any way? Like my, <laughs> my whole thing, mastery is still, I feel like mastery is still necessary and it's still popular. So my, that's why I keep going back to my career as a drummer. Like that's something, and I don't mean like I, you know, I've mastered it, but meaning like I have expertise as a drummer. Like it's something I've been doing since I was two years old. I've I've had a certain level of success, so that is an area that I have mastery in. I have a degree that says I have mastery. So like that is something that I'm an expert in because people, and this is how you diversify, or another term I like to use is leverage. Because people trust me as a drummer. How do I get them to trust me at other things? Right. So because they trust that I can play the drums and, and play the music the way they want me to play, the other question is, will you then trust me to produce it? Right? So, so as you leverage one thing against another versus this new age where everybody's like trying to do 20 things at the same time. Well, do you do one thing well? You know, like, I, so for me, like, le- you know, leverage has been my key of, okay, so I play well. Now people trust me to like lead then they trust me to produce. Because I produce, then they trust me to put music in a venue. Because they trust me to put music in a venue, they now trust me to manage a venue. Because they trust me to manage a venue, they now trust me to manage a tour. You know, so it's like you build off of these things, but you have to build off of it from a level of like being a master or being very good at that. Right. And I think if you can prove that, you know, which is why I use the, you being a great musician, which parlays into your ability to do this podcast, from you doing this podcast can break into you maybe managing some other thing or maybe going to, you know, a news station and saying, hey, we'll manage that. And so, but but the other thing people have to realize, you have to still keep those other things. Exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, all of that's, it, yeah. when, that's when the power of a team comes in. Yeah. Is that you can't then like, like my sister, shout out Felicia Bass, um, who's probably texting me because I know I have to go to this other thing. Um, <laughs> but she's, she um, is, is an incredible uh, or great photographer, but she's now really getting more serious about it and building her business. And so as a family and as a family business, we are rallying around her saying, let's use the relationships right. that you already have that people trust her. Cause she's incredible at what she does uh, as a logistics uh, and, and she's our director of operations. And as part of that, she's been a photographer. So like with that, like use those same relationships. And it was easy for her because people were like, oh yeah, like I remember you took that picture and it was on Don't Miss a Beat's website and I love that. So now they want her to take pictures of their family event. You know what I mean? So I I, I really, instead of the, the idea of like multiple streams of income, leverage. Like to me, leverage 
because it, it, it goes back to what do you already have, right? And how can you build upon what you already have? One hundred percent. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. One hundred percent, man. One hundred percent. That kind of like answers like the next five questions okay. that I have. So. <laughs> I feel like I'm at like a Tony Robbins motivational oh, speakathon well, right now, but it's awesome, man. I'm just no. listening. I'm like, just tell me more secrets, please. Yeah, <laughs> for free. This is great. For free. Yeah. <laughs> No, man, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I love the way that you think about all this stuff, man. It's also, great. also, I can't wait to just like have a picture of us and then it just says, like in quotations, cool, incredible. Ulysses is so That's what he said. The critics all agree. <laughs> right, right. One day they will. Um, so I'm curious, uh, we live in the age of social media now. So what role has that played in your ability to be sustainable? I love social media. Okay. But I love it because I stay in my lane. Yeah. Um, a, a big part of my, you know, social media creed is that I don't engage in the personal uh, political rhetoric. Of course. Whatever my political views, um, I share them with my family and with the people that are closest to me. Because here's the thing. You may like my drumming, but you may not like my political views. And so why am I going to ruin you wanting to pick up my book or pick up an album that helps you to love what I do more because I tell you who I agree with or don't agree with political, politically. So social media for me is great because I get to promote what I want to promote. The other thing about social media, people don't understand the gift that it is. 20 years ago or in the 80s or 90s, anything you wanted as an artist, you had to a label had to give you access to it. Right. And if a label dropped you, you no longer had access to that. Right. So they had access to your PR, they had access to your tour, tour of... Uh, dates, uh, your tour support. They had access to your mailing list. All your like distribution. They, they, they controlled every relationship. With social media, you own all those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have, you know, a thousand followers, those thousand people belong to you. And unless you do something crazy to ruin that, you have those thousand people for the rest of your life. That's something that the artist has never, ever, 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 ever had. Which is why you had like an 80s artist who was like, where are they now? Because once they fell out of grace with the label, they no longer had access to all that stuff they built. The exactly. label just took that and they gave it to another artist. Exactly. So social media for me, you know, uh, is important and, and it's a big part of my success because it gives me the place to build my audience and also give them what I want. You know, so like even now, I, like if I'm like, man, I think I want to record a new record, I could just start talking about it on social media. And now in three weeks, I've got all my followers aware of what I'm doing versus before you'd have to be like, all right, I'm going to do another record. Do we have 10 grand to hire a PR person? Yeah. That's still a case for us. <laughs> but, 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 you know, but, but you have, but you have to do it. your you have to use your resources. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and that's where the idea of followers gets tricky, right? Cause they're like, Oh, well, easy, it's easy for you to say you listen to, you have so many followers. I'm, I always say to people, people used to joke about how bad my Instagram page was. Yeah. <laughs> my friends who had more followers used to, they would clown me. And I actually would say to them, well, why is it so bad? And they'd be like, well, because you do this and you do that. And you do that. I'm like, well, tell me more. Well, you could do this. And oh, man, that one post, oh, that was so horrible. And I took everything that everybody told me and I, and I reversed it. And now I have more followers than all of them yeah. combined. <laughs> so I say that to say, like, you, you have to look like, you have to analyze, like, how can you be better and, like, how can you use what you have? So instead of getting mad or dark about it, I was like, well, tell me how I can do whatever. And basically it was a, a couple things. It was the quality of, of my content. Yeah. It was the quality of my photos. 
It was the quality of my videos. I wasn't posting a lot of video content. And I was also being something that I wasn't. I, I was trying to be like what I thought people wanted Ulysses to be instead of who I actually was. And my social media following, it, it grew because when, when I was honest about who I was and authentic about who I was, then people are like, oh, I'm interested in that. So like now I post pictures of, of my like son and I'm like, he's so juicy and chubby and, you know, slob, you know, rolling down. And people are like, oh my God, I love that. And like people, baby companies hit me up like, can we take, can we use your son for a promo? I'm just showing my like juicy, chubby son. Really? You know, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's. And he didn't. He didn't even know what the hell's going on. He's right. just. He's trying to eat the camera. Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> but there's something authentic about about that. Or like sometimes I'll get on and I'll be like, man, I'm trying to. I'm. I'm in the shed and like I look really awkward when I practice and I post it and people are like I look awkward like that too. Yeah. So I find that social media is this great place if you're authentic and most of us that are trying to find our way on it. I think we have to just be more organic and then we have to engage. Yeah. You know, with people. So anyway, but yeah, social media. I don't think the opportunities I have now would be there if I didn't have social media. Yeah, so I was gonna say, like, you have you have you been able to leverage your following on there to to, to work in like brand partnerships Every, and that kind of thing. Everything I have, for the most part, is because of social media. That's awesome. Even like the reason why I'm here, right? I got here because David from shout out to Manifest uh, Distilling. Um, they so I had a jam session here during the pandemic. Right up the street at Wildcrafters, yeah, another shout yeah, out. Yeah. Young, which is my main man. Anyway, so I had it, and I said to Young, I was like, "Yo, I'm we about to go hard on social media." And I just started posting clips of what we did at Wildcrafters, and it got to the point where it was one of the most popular events in Jacksonville. Well, David heard about that and was like, "Man, how can we work together?" He and I started working together at Manifest. I was coming by to check out the band that night, and I ran into you. Right. Right. So. Social again, social media is the gift that keeps giving. Giving, I would not have gotten to David had we not made such a big thing about what Young and I were doing, and he heard about it and was like, "Man, how can we be part of that and get you know access to some of what you're trying to do artistically in Jacksonville?" Right. So again, it goes back to social media. It's funny that it's the same thing with uh, like in my perspective too, where I talked to David and I was like, "Hey, we have a podcast. Right. Uh, we're on social media. Also, would you guys be interested in like working with us?" And then, and he was like, yeah, you should get that guy on your podcast. <laughs> and I was like, trust me, I, w I would love to get Ulysses on the podcast. He was like, I'll go introduce you. And then that's how it worked. So it's like, again, social media being that leverage thing. But, but the other thing, and I'm going to give out some free advice with social media. And this is key. If, if, if somebody, if one person uses this the right way, it will change their career. Listen up, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about social media is that you need to capture what you're actually doing in real time to build what you're doing. So for instance, if I like on your podcast, I I would have had somebody roll doing B-roll as I was coming in. Shit. Right? God as damn, I was we're coming, slipping, guys. Yeah. No, and we would if we could have any other camera. I think we're using every but, but, pan in the cover, dude. But use your, use <laughs> your, use your phone. Camera. Yeah, just use your phone. Use your camera. No, but I'm saying why so so why Don't you're doing argue it? the man, Bill. I'm just saying why you're doing it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. you know, yeah. like like so as no, I'm, I'm right coming so as I'm coming in, it's like, oh, you is in the building, whatever, and then I and then you tag me, I tag you, and then I also do it. So now you got your following and my following captivated during this moment. Right. And and what and and the mistake we make a lot of times is we we finish this, we put together these beautiful, cute little reels, and then we try to get engagement after the moment has happened. And right. what I think social media is key with is it gets people engaged. So if somebody's like at work right now, like, you know, BSing or whatever, and they're like on your page, 
they're like, oh, dang, that's happening now. And so you got their attention now. And so that, that to me is a big part of what makes social media amazing is the fact that like I'm at work but and I like Kanye and if I decide to log on to his live, I could see what he's doing right now. Right. And that is the the other piece the people that I see do really well. Like somebody I follow on social media that I, I I'm not a fan of his music, but I love his social media is DJ uh Khalid. Khalid. Oh, yeah, Khalid, Khalid yeah, yeah. Man, like he he literally posted a video one day of him eating an ice cream sandwich. Yeah, he's a fat guy. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, yo, man, bless up. You know, like y'all. You know, we making money. Yeah, <laughs> and, He's but it was so like funny. three million views. Yeah, because that's his authentic space. Yeah. So I, so for me, I feel like that's where a lot of us miss out. Is we try to treat social media kind of like the website thing, and not realizing like that's the greatest marketing tool you'll you'll ever have. Right. It's so simple too. I don't know how we. Skipped over that one. Well, we've talked about doing IG lives and stuff like oh, that. Oh no, no, no. that's already. But the, like, the behind the scenes things. I'm yeah. like, it's about to happen. Yeah. But that's what people. I mean, oh, I get it. Yeah, that's I'll, awesome. I mean, it's awesome. That, yeah. That's what people want. Yeah, you totally. Know? That's what they want. So, um, I can take a few more questions. Yeah, yeah no, for sure, for yeah. sure, dude. Um, so that that was actually basically like the the last of it. I I, I just kind of want to know like what you're listening to these days. Are you listen to music at all? Oh heck like, yeah. Just uh, um, listen to it. Yeah, I mean, I like Spotify. I mean, don't kill me. Um. <laughs> I, I like Spotify philosophically from the place of how you get access to so much music. Yeah, totally. Um, and what I love the most about it is the playlist. Yeah. Um, I've gotten exposed to so much new music by like just, you know, so cool thing I love about pod- podcast or excuse me, Spotify is I could literally get in my car now and be like driving down the highway vibes. And there's a playlist <laughs> right, right. Like for that mood that I'm in. And then all of a sudden, like, I get introduced to like a hundred new artists I've never ever heard of. So yeah. So with that said, um, I've there's a great jazz artist, Cecil McCorn Salvant. She just released an album. Um, I think it's called Ghost Stories. So I was listening to that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm checking that out. Yeah, I don't. I mean, who else? Uh, somebody else released an album. Yeah, I'm I'm always listening to a bunch of. Are stuff. you listening to like predominantly like jazz stuff, or are you just whatever? I mean, I like jazz, and I, I I like and I love it, but because I do it for a living. Sometimes the more I'm on the road, the less of jazz I listen to. Sure. During the pandemic, I actually listened to a pile of jazz because I, w- I was missing it so much. Right. Um, now I just like to listen to things that I can I, I can keep creating with. Like actually, there's a playlist on Spotify I love. It's called Deep Focus. Okay. And um, it's like real ethereal, like sound wave stuff, and I love it. And and it allows me to write and do all the stuff I'm doing and listen to it. Because sometimes when I'm listening to stuff with lyrics and you know, and because I'm a musician. You know those sensory things start going off. Totally. So I typically like to listen more to like softer, chill stuff. I love Brazilian music, um, singer songwriter stuff. That's kind of like more thought provoking and allows me to like ch- like settle in and like check out other stuff. Yeah, like totally. Deep German minimal house. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Afro that's, tribe. You yes. know? That's, that's Billy's shit. Right <laughs> that's there, my bro. shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't, when the lyrics are on or anything like that, or anything crazy is going on, I can't focus on anything. Yeah. That's why it's hard, you know? Um, Ulysses, thanks so much for being here today, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I want to give some advice before before I leave. Sure. More um, advice? No, I'm just messing um, around. <laughs> be, you know, I'm, I'm a key guy. Like, I'm very big into like three, four, five keys, whatever. For everybody who's watching this or checking this out, where whatever stage you're in, first, you need to be honest about like where you are constantly. Be honest about where you are. Then second, be honest about where you want to go. And then third, be honest about who can help you get there. Um, many of us watch billions of podcasts every day, but we don't think about, okay, 
I'm not the only person that's going to make this possible. Right. Um, and then I would say, you know, fourth, leverage. Understand the idea of leverage. Um, and then five, you know, go for it. Go for it. Whatever it is. And even if you fail, you will actually learn more from a failure than you will from from winning. Totally. Um, so, yeah, just go for it. And, uh, yeah, man. It, and, and, and divorce the idea of how you think it should happen. Just say, like, I really want, like this, you really want your podcast to grow, but be less concerned with how it grows and more concerned with, like, we're going to grow this and we're going to try a bunch of stuff and we're going to figure it out. And then you'll get to where you want to get to. Totally. We really appreciate all the advice, man. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank so you. So much yeah, knowledge just dropping. We'll, we'll, it, we'll do a part two, I promise, and I won't be late. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't be late. We got it. <laughs> um, appreciate you guys. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. It's been a pleasure, uh, and we will see you guys next time. Adios, Thank you, man.